Okay, let's go. Hey, Aaron. There's more to life than coffee, man. We're having church here. What are you doing out there? Oh, you are. Hey, is the food downstairs and Aaron and Sheldon and the kids downstairs? This is not good for the women's baby shower. <laughs> Any baby shower announcements? Okay, there's a, <laughs> there's a baby shower after the service. Guys are not invited. Yeah. Hey, so as we uh, continue talking about presence, um, I forgot to tell you, um, Sheldon and Jane had gone to Hawaii, they've come back, and uh, they met some con people there that we can uh, work with, God willing, in the future, if you build a relationship with them. So we'll be going back again in April or May. And um, Tuni and Anile and Sue are in Vernon, because Eric went to Guatemala, Actually, he's in New York. He leaves this afternoon uh, for a mission trip there. So Tuni, Anle, and Sue were doing the service last night. And uh, next week, Don and Emily are going to Vernon. Um, Friday, Saturday, uh, I go to LA. And then um, a whole lot of people are coming from New York and LA to Vancouver the week after. So um, Manoj has graciously... Uh, as one of his last acts of kindness, decided to host him. And so we just want to thank you, Manoj. Because these are guys from the U.S., and this would be the brotherly thing to do. Yeah. All righty, that takes care of accommodation for them. <laughs> so so uh, let's talk about... Um... Hey, so one of the things that's happening in New York is... Um, I met with the five different house churches there that we've started, and they're coming together, eh? So um, it's going better than I thought. Yeah, those guys are really gelling. When you see the people they reach out to, it's, fa it's fascinating. I mean, right from the homeless to people that are um, from every strata of society. And these guys are really doing well, eh? They have a way to go and get people. They remind me a little of Prashant and Pawan. Uh, put Prashant and Pound in New York, and that's what will happen. So it's that kind of a vibe. So praise God. So uh, we, we'll continue talking about presence. Only today we talk about presence and humility. And uh, remember, he's here, eh? Even while I teach, I have to be aware of the fact that he, as in Jesus, who is king and is kinging, one of the things he loved to do when he walked the earth as king was teach. So I've got to be aware that he is here and he wants to teach. And if you have to be aware that what if uh, he's here and what if I was listening to him teach, how would it affect my heart? So if we could remove your ears and my mouth from the equation, this might work out really well because the Spirit of God will help us decode stuff, find stuff that doesn't fit, find stuff that fits. Hey, there's an echo on this. Can I lose the echo? Echo, 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 echo. <laughs> Still there. Cool. Okay, 
So guys, one of the conditions for God's presence, one of the conditions for God's presence is humility. One of the conditions for God's presence is humility. And so if you look, go to 1 Peter 5, verse 5 and 6. 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6. So if, if, if you're saying, we, Father, we really want to be aware of your presence, it's not that his presence is not here. His presence is continuous, continuously here. Continuously here. And if his presence is here, then the kingdom is here. He's crowding the earth with his presence, eh? He's crowding the earth with his presence. Like I said over the last two or three weeks, it's like this heavy balloon full of water that's pressing down on the earth, pressing down on us. We just aren't aware of it, but what if we became aware of it? What if we became aware of the king and his presence? Then I could stop at any moment, turn on a dime and do what he wants me to, because I'm no longer the preacher or the pastor. I'm just aware of his presence, and then he gets to do what he wants to. It can I have a little more volume. So... His presence is here, but some of the conditions that make it easy for us to always be aware of his presence is um, humility. So if you go to First Peter 5, First Peter 5, verse 5 and 6, it says that, um, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Uh, in some versions it says, God opposes the proud, but is present with the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Go to Psalm 34, Psalm 34, verse 18. Psalm 34. Psalm 34, verse 18. This is the idea of being brokenhearted or contrite, one of the older words. The Lord is near, as in his presence is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. Uh, the message puts it this way. If your heart is broken, you will find God right there. Let's go to Isaiah 57, 15. Isaiah 57, 15. I love this one. Because he lives in two places very happily. Eh? One of the things God does really well is live in two of these places so easily. The first place is um, heaven. The high and lofty one who lives in eternity. The holy one says, I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are, and with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble. I revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. Let me read from the NIV. For this is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. Let's take one more. Numbers 12.3. Numbers 12.3. Here is a guy who actually saw the glory of God, eh? He wanted the presence of God. He asked for the presence of God. He saw the glory of God. No other human being on earth 
had been able to dare to ask for it or see it before. But look at what it says about him. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone on the face of the earth. That was his condition. So there is this um, ability to become aware of God's presence when humility is part of who I am. And uh, Jesus himself said it in Matthew 18, verse 3 and 4, that, um, guys, the best measure, the best measure for a person's readiness, measure for a person's readiness for, the, for, for kingdom and king is that of a child. In Matthew 18, 3 and 4, it says that if you are as humble as a child, you will know the presence of both king and kingdom. Matthew 18, 3 and 4. Let's just read it. Matthew 18, 3 and 4. Matthew 18, 3 and 4. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes a lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. There is something to being aware of the presence of God that requires lowliness and humility. And so we are saying that one of the things we want to discover over the next 50, uh, how many ever weeks, is an awareness of the presence of God. We're not asking for the presence of God. He's already here. Like I said last time, and I think I said it, he's, there are four things we need to do. Look up. Revelation chapter 4. Look up. There's a throne and there is a king seated on it. And there are creatures and angels around him. Thousands upon thousands worshipping him. Look up. Then look in. Because the same king has decided to live inside me. There's a throne in this temple. Then look in our midst. Because this is his favorite resting place. His people. And then look out there. Because he's crowding the earth with his presence. Eh? The moment Jesus came, he decided that he would crowd the earth with his presence. That he's already there before I get there. The idea of king is that the king is kinging. Where? Here on earth. And he's also in heaven. He's in me, he's in our midst, and he's out there. We're at a distinct advantage as people of the kingdom, eh? Yes, there is a prince of the power of the air. But he's created. And in the end, he's removed by a blast of the nostrils of the king. That's how he's removed. So, we are aware that he's here, but if I walk in humility, it's good soil for him to have traction in. Guys, the thing is, um, humility was discarded. Humility was one of the first things discarded by, in heaven. Lucifer discarded humility. It was one of the first things that was lost. What was his intent? I want to be equal to God. The first thing that was removed from heaven was humility. There are two ancient spirits, and by ancient spirits, I don't mean very old spirits. As in ancient spirits, as in spirits that showed themselves first. And the first spirit that showed himself, itself was the spirit of pride. And the second spirit that showed itself was the spirit of fear. The spirit of pride was what caused a created angel to rebel against the Most High God, saying, I will sit on his throne and receive his worship. He comes down to the earth and he, and he baits Adam and Eve with the same thing. Hey, 
Do you really think he has your best interest at heart? What he really wants is to keep you under control. Eat of this fruit and it will open your eyes and you will become like God. It's an ancient spirit, pride, which is why it is necessary that we oppose it because what was lost in the garden at the end of the day was presence. If it is not from? Yeah, so it is an ancient spirit. But where does it come from? When, when what was good turned to evil, it would be like asking, and I mean this sincerely, it would be like asking, how did um, roses develop thorns? How did um, bacteria turn into harmful virus? With sin and the fall, things mutate. One that was supposed to be the ultimate expression of angelic glory decides that because of free will that I will choose to be like God. Mm-hmm. So it was sort of in tandem with what Satan was doing as opposed to that creating Satan's rebellion. Um, I don't understand. It's okay. Okay. Yeah. So once pride entered... And pride is the opposite. Uh, we must remember something. Sin is the opposite of what God is. And one can always choose it. Sin is the opposite of what God is. And one can always choose it. Because one has free will. It is free will that allows us to choose what is not God. And so here is Lucifer who chooses pride. And then he has the same bait here on earth. To draw Adam in. And Adam does the same thing, wants to be equal with God. And then comes the spirit of fear. The spirit of fear is what causes a man who used to walk with God face to face, heart to heart. It causes that man to begin to hide. And these things are still active. eh? That is why it's important that we realize that humility is something that must be practiced for presence. Humility is key to an awareness of presence. You okay, Jean? Humility is key to an awareness of presence. Because what was lost in the garden, what was lost in the garden was presence. What was lost in the garden was presence. And it was lost because of pride. And so... How can you define humility for our sake? The essence of humility is the absence, this is a hard one, eh, guys, is the absence of personal concern, is the absence of personal concern for our worth, for our skills, for our achievements, for our status, for our entitlements. Humility, the essence of humility, the essence of humility is the absence of personal concern. As in, what would it look like if everybody in this room began to have no personal concern for their worth, their skills, their achievements, their status, their entitlement. We are no longer concerned. We are no longer concerned. What would happen if we lived like this? Sorry, say that again. What's the difference between the personal concern and the 
yeah, that, that's how we are. We, we, we push towards achieving. We push towards entitlement, entitlement. We push towards honing our skills. Self-worth is highly prized. What if there was no personal concern for these things? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm saying that ambition is not a um, kingdom quality. Ambition is not a kingdom quality. Our goal is to be obedient and to serve. Christ, I mean, Christ is the ultimate poster, uh, poster person for this. If there was anyone who was skilled, if there was anyone who could have achieved, if there was anyone who could have done whatever he wanted, it was Christ. Paul was, at one time, someone who lived like that. And then he says, it is dog dung. That's the actual translation. That all the stuff I have achieved is dog dung. This is why humility goes so against what we see as present culture. So the acquiring skills would be, let's say Emily, Emily knows how to sing. Her acquired skill would be, I'm, I'm, I've been given a gift for singing. I'm going to train it. And I'm going to train it because I will serve King, Kingdom, and his guests. Where there is no personal concern for her singing, her worth, that comes from singing, skills, achievements, status, entitlement, no, no personal concern. It's a very extreme way of living, man. Why are we offended? We are offended because when these things are not given the value that they must be given by those around us, it bothers us. But this kind of living, ah, it'll have the presence of God tent on you, eh? You'll be aware of it constantly. Ambition is not a kingdom quality. What will it do to us? It will hollow us out in the world. And yet it says, humble yourself in, under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you. Look at what happened to Daniel and the three boys. Decided not to take part in the fancy stuff that was set up by the king. Decided not to eat of it. The guy who was in charge said, you guys are going to have my head cut off because you guys will be worse off. And what does he do? He says, give us 10 days. Just give us 10 days. And after 10 days, they were 10 times better than everybody else. Humiliation, and that's a word we would never equate with Christianity today. Humiliation and exaltation are two sides of one coin. What happens when you're... Go ahead, someone ask a question. Okay. What happens when you're not included or recognized? What happens? What happens when you are not included? When you're not recognized? When my good deeds are overlooked? Or worse yet, it's attributed to someone else. Could you care less about such things? Could you care less about such things? Amazing, eh? So difficult. 
what happens when you're not included, when you're not, you're not part of the in crowd or the inner core? What happens when you're not recognized? What happens when your good deeds are overlooked? What happens when you do a whole lot of good and then it's attributed to someone else? Could you, could you care less about such things? It's very difficult. Something bristles inside us saying, but I'm entitled to that. I earned it. I deserved it. I worked for it. The fear is though, if I behave like this, what will happen to me at work? Will I be promoted? Will I get that job? Will I uh, be lifted up? And God is saying, since when has man been in charge of your life? Since when does mortal man decide your progress? Really, if mortal men decided your progress, Don would not get into UBC. Derek would definitely not get through UBC. Don was not even accepted in UBC Okanagan. And yet he got it in Vancouver. How is that even possible? Sorry, Don, this is... You always come up in wrong examples. Yep, go Butler. Sorry, I said go Butler. <laughs> go Mark. <laughs> well, it's your name. Yeah, go Mark. Um, how does that apply for people in business that have to negotiate and like acquire stuff? Yeah, so God is a profitable God. And so um, there are principles that like uh, you will not hoard, you will not gouge. You will be profitable, you will multiply. You won't hoard away for a rainy day. You will treat employees well. Paul outlines them in all his uh, letters. So there are principles. Oh, I thought you were running to me and calling me mama. Aaron, you're supposed to keep the kids down, not here. We've got guests today. I'm trying to impress them and you're ruining it. Yeah, so... Um, he is a profitable God, um, but he is also a super kind God. So it's very hard for businessmen to balance both. Very few succeed. Very few succeed. Because at some point, the need to be profitable begins to change who you are to your employees and with your customers. So your focus should be not on the rules of the world, but on the principles of the world. Yeah. I would say if you can take, as a businessman, if you can take Isaiah 61, 1 to 5, and use that as your mandate. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me as a businessman to preach the good news to the power poor, to open the eyes of the blind, to set captives free. If that becomes why you run a business, then verse 6 to 11 goes into play. And 6 to 11 says this, foreigners will come and dig up your vineyards. You will have double the profits. God will honor you with a double portion. He will make sure that shepherds take care of your sheep and uh, farmers take care of your vineyards. He will crown you with whatever you need to. And, and so one to five, if we follow as businessmen and nurses, as mothers, as uh, um, fathers, then 6 to 11 just takes care of itself. Because Jesus was a businessman. We, we don't remember that. His father dies early. He runs a carpentry business. I don't know if he had employees, but perhaps his brothers and sisters helped because usually that's how family businesses were run. He had to take care of a mother and about six siblings, and he was the oldest by far. And now here is a man who has to 
run this business and make sure that his family is fed. And he's the same one who said, anyone who takes, does not take care of his family and offers offerings to God is an infidel. So he must have really worked hard at it. Oh my God, it must have been fun watching him as a businessman. So a follow-up question. So humility doesn't always have to mean like helping out everyone. It can it just mean like, because sometimes when you buy, you have to buy low and somebody else is kind of, is taking the loss, so to speak, from your gain. Yeah, not always. Sometimes you have to do it, but it's not a, it's not a flat thing that to be humble is to um, let my family die of starvation while you give Jacob a good deal. Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. So, but uh, humility at the end of the day, um, it, uh, this part is important. C.S. Lewis put it this way. I love the phrase he uses for humility. Self-forgetfulness. Self-forgetfulness. Jacob, can you do things and then not, f- just completely forget yourself? Can you sing a song and then not even bother that someone else is singing better than you? Can you write a book that is a bestseller and then Mark comes along and it took you eight months to write the book, he takes eight days to write the book and it sells more than yours. Can you be happy for him? Part of the reason we need to talk about this is because humility is a condition of the heart. And the strange thing about pride and humility is those who possess it do not know it. Do not know it. Others see it, but those who possess pride or humility do not know it. As soon as you know it, uh, no, you just don't know it. <laughs> one, who is pri- one who is proud does not know it and others see it. One who is humble does not know it and others see it. Like, I just don't know that I'm humble. <laughs> it's strange. You see it, but I don't. Yeah. Yes, Sorry. Yeah, that's different. Yeah, that's different. It's when you're being deliberately excluded for um, wrong reasons, but the heart is still humble as you go and argue to be included. The heart doesn't thirst, heart doesn't crave, heart doesn't desire to be included in everything. You're okay not being included. And then you go up to her and say, why didn't you include me because this is a project I'm doing. But it comes from a heart that does not demand, is not entitled, is okay being humiliated. How many people here are actually okay being humiliated? Our immediate response is, but we shouldn't be a um, doormat, Uh, we should stand up for our rights. All that is true, but let's swing to the other side for a second, because that part we have nailed down really well. Let's do the other part. How many here actually are okay being humiliated? Don't put up your hands all together. Just take it easy. True, but let's just take that statement for how many of us are really okay being humiliated? Okay being humiliated, as in, it's all right. Yes, it is situational. There are places where you need to stand up. But what I know is that I'm not okay with it yet. I'm not okay being humiliated. Something in me rises up when I'm humiliated. 
Pardon? Why you ask is not okay with us. No. It is situational. Everything is gray. Nothing is necessarily always black and white. But I'm finding out that it, something bristles in me when I'm humiliated, and then I have to kick in my Christian. Aha! Always stand up for justice for others, but never fight for it for yourself. When he was reviled, when he was humiliated, when he was insulted, he went like a sheep to the slaughter. That's the odd thing. I'm supposed to stand up and fight for justice for others, but I'm not supposed to uh, uh, insist that justice be done to me. This is the part where I think we are not like Jesus yet. Boy, I'm not getting past the introduction today. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if, if, if Chelan is not standing up for himself in his situation, and uh, then maybe I can stand up for him. Yeah. Yeah. This is good to lean on you like this. So just talking about like not standing up for justice for yourself, I don't feel the same way. I have personally in situations at work where somebody has ripped a script out of me and it's been completely wrong. It's okay, Jill. Good. So, we're talking about justice. We're talking about humiliation. We're talking about speaking up. And we're talking about evil and turning the other cheek. All this will go together and it's... uh, and while Jill's experience is really painful for her, we still can't leave out these other things. So in Jill's case, she was abused by the person who really treated her badly, and nobody else stood up for her, so she would have to speak up against and mark boundaries. And if you don't mark boundaries, you get taken advantage of again and again and again, and so much so that it, um, even talking about it, and trust me, she's a private person for her to bring this up like this, is a big deal. It's very painful for her. So there is that on one hand. On the other hand, there is the turning the other cheek when evil is done to me. There is the uh, humiliation that Jesus Christ suffered at the hands of those that treated him unfairly and were abusive towards him. There is the speaking up that needs to happen when he turned the temple upside down. He didn't just speak up, he took a whip and spoke. And there is the fair God who gives out justice. And I'll tell you something else. Because she went through what she went through, blessed are those... Uh, these are not words that I'm throwing out just for the heck of it. Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those that are persecuted for my name's sake. Blessed are those that are poor in spirit. 
these things suddenly come crashing down on her head. She may not be able to measure it, but there's a God who's faithful who does it. So the easiest thing for me right now would be to say, man, this is a terrible story. We must stand up for our rights. In her case, nobody stood up for her rights. She had to stand up herself, and it still traumatizes her. But when we look at the overall picture, humility requires all these things to be at work. How we cannot avoid it. Jill, I know how difficult it was to share it, so I'm grateful. What is, what's going to happen at the end of the day as we, as we learn to walk in greater humility? We become more aware of his presence. That aside, Matthew 5 begins to break on her and break on you. There was a reason Jesus shares the Beatitudes. The Romans were some of the most abusive masters that ever existed. Judea was under their tyranny. They're waiting for a king who has not come. And when he comes, he doesn't come as a conquering king. He stands there and he's saying, blessed are you if you're bankrupt. Blessed are you if you're crying. It seems unreal for us. But this is what she gets. And I'm not just making it, just saying it. This is what she gets. If she wants to measure it from today on, she will see beatitudes break over her. Because this God is awfully faithful, awesomely faithful. Um, C.S. Lewis uses the word uh, self-forgetfulness. He says humility is self-forgetfulness. And self-forgetfulness is the opposite of self-engrossment. I don't know who said this line, but I love this line. Humility follows God like a shadow. Humility follows God like a shadow. So if there's a shadow God casts, it's humility. If there's a shadow God casts, it's humility. When man is present with God, humility prevails. When man moves away from God, pride seeks him out. When man moves away from God, pride seeks him out. When man walks with God, humility prevails. When man separates himself from God, pride seeks him out. And the problem with pride seeking me out is when pride seeks me out and I walk with it, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. It's this virtuous and vicious cycle. The shadow that God casts is humility. We just need to look at the sun, as in S-O-N. Everything he did. We'll read Philippians 2, 6-9. It's marvelous what he talks about there. One who is king decides not to grasp equality with God and becomes a servant. The shadow he casts is that of humility. When man walks with God, humility prevails. When I separate myself in, with, from God, and it happens a hundred times a day, when I separate myself from God, pride seeks me out. It seeks me out. And when it seeks me out, and if it can have me, then God resists me. Because God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Presence is, 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 proofs you, P-R-O-O-F-S. Presence proofs you against pride. Presence proofs 
you against pride. It is very hard to be in the presence of the king and be proud. In fact, it says Leviathan is the king over the children of pride. Job 42 or somewhere there. Leviathan is king over the children of pride. While Jesus Christ is king over those that walk humbly. Think of the word self-forgetfulness. Hey, play around with it. I remember being in a situation once where I'd done a lot of work there, a lot of work, and uh, contributed tremendously. And they're sitting and they're talking about uh, the different people that contributed, and they completely left me out. And I knew I was, the, I was the one who did most of the work there. Rarely happens, but this time I did. And uh, <laughs> I'm listening, and there was this C.S. Lewis phrase, self-forgetfulness. And it was so comforting. So what if you did a lot of work and nobody recognized you? Self-forgetfulness. So hard, man. Something in us wants to be applauded and recognized. Thank God for a Jesus of extremes. Again, C.S. Lewis said this too. Spiritual pride is when I'm proud of something Christian for reasons other than Christ. Spiritual pride is when I'm proud of something Christian for reasons other than Christ. Spiritual pride is when I'm proud of something Christian for reasons other than Christ. I'm proud of something Christian for reasons other than Christ. Suddenly, spiritually, I want to increase. Why? So that I can be better than Gillian or better than Sheldon. For reasons other than Christ. Boast in him. He's the one who made it possible for me. But when you do it for reasons other than Christ, it just changes things. Yeah. I mean, in pastoral circles, this happens. Forget pastoral. Oh, let me just say. Uh, so there'll be a pastor sitting with you, and he'll say, yeah, I went to Af- um, Asia, and I um, prayed for two blind people, and they both got healed. And so I'm, you'll sit and listen to it, and then you think, hmm. You went to Asia, and I think there were two and a half blind people healed. So you're waiting for him to finish his testimony, because now it's your turn. Yeah, I went to Asia, and there were two and a half blind people healed, because one guy only had one eye, and then one deaf ear. Now you've upped the ante. Now the next pastor, he has to come up with another story. And around the stable, stories go, man, each trying to up the other. And then at the end of every story, you will say, praise God, it was all him. (laughs) So we do this. Trust me, Marcus. <laughs> they, 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 they do it, and I've been part of it too. And then you leave the place and you think to yourself, my God, that was the most ungodly testimonies that God, of God that we have heard. Oh, I, I, I realize it as soon as I leave what I did. <laughs> See, my humility, I'm not aware of it, like I was saying. Okay, um, for presence and humility to work, um, there are things I must recognize about myself. There are things I must recognize about myself. Yeah. You're still stuck with Lucifer. We moved on to God. Okay, but go ahead. Yeah, 
but, but that was because he willed otherwise, right? He chose. He chose. I mean, if there's, it must have been some kind of rebellion to in, be in the presence of holy, to be in the presence of creator, and yet choose to rebel and then go and get one third of the angelic armies to rebel with him. And Christ was slain before the foundations of the earth, which is even nuttier, or more nuts, like in the sense that he knew this was going to happen and he had already made provision for it. Before there was a church, Satan was already saying, I want to sit on Mount Zion. Before the earth existed. It's the it, it, it's it's most... It's the most precious thing that God has given us. Free will. And because free will is the most precious thing God has given us, to use power, love, um, pressure, manipulation, deceit, to hijack, control, affect, color, groom, anyone's self-will, is something that God does not do. And so as a pastor, if I ever try to force your will to do something, then suddenly it reeks of ungodliness. As a parent, when you try doing it, you advise, you counsel, you correct, you admonish, you do all that. But a point comes where once a person is of a certain age, not for little children, once a person is of a certain age, you have to let them make a choice. And when we take away that through pressure, force, carrots, not carrots, like cake, uh, any, any such thing, carrots wouldn't help. <laughs> but you, you never hijack someone's self really. You never use deceit or manipulation to take it away. Because it's one thing God doesn't do. Um, when I'm with people who are trying to manipulate my self-will, I have to create distance. I don't have to separate, but I have to create distance. When it happens again and again, then I have to create distance so that I'm not as influenced as I would otherwise be. Yeah. Meaning that's, a, that's the simplest way to start. Uh, nothing is black and white. I wish everything was black and white. Life would be so easy. Cats, bad. Dogs, good. It's not like that. They might, we might find out soon that there are one or two cats that may have made it into good. Yeah. But not more than two. Yeah. Who brought her? Someone in Vernon sent me a text from the last message and the only point that really grasped them, I was talking about the presence of God. The, te the text is saying, the only point I really got, no, she didn't say that, was when you said, what if God gives you a cat as a pet when you get to heaven? 
Guys, our, our, our humility is so contrary to the world, huh? which is why, how, how, do you, how do you handle Trump as a Christian? Everything he does goes against the grain of what we are talking. And yet, we, we think he's God sent and he's, uh, maybe he's God sent, but he's definitely not godly. Everything that we are talking about is contrary to the world system. Because humility, according to God, requires a glad acceptance, a glad acceptance, a glad acceptance of weakness, of dependence, and of even humiliation. Yeah, we'll get there in the next three or four minutes. Yeah. So when you look at the Beatitudes, what are the Beatitudes basically about? The Beatitudes are Jesus saying, rest in your neediness. Rest in your weakness. Rest in your meekness. And you will be blessed. How crazy is that, man? Rest in your meekness, rest in your neediness, rest in your weakness, and you will be blessed. That's what the Beatitudes are about. We try to take the Beatitudes and mix it with a little bit of how we should be in the world to succeed, and then we create our me-attitudes. <laughs> but Jesus, Jesus was Beatitudes, not me-attitudes. And we mix it up. And we can't afford to mix it up because that's why Christians don't look very different from the world. They look slightly different. What this means is I no longer generate, I no longer try to generate confidence. But I actually groove in my weakness and my inadequacy. Man, we can get here, guys. We can get here. Where we don't try to generate a drum up confidence. We groove in a, groove is an old 60s word that some of us will understand. We groove in our weakness, in our inadequacy. Okay, we embrace. Embrace sounds like, oh. <laughs> Groove has become very comfortable in it, like, yeah, like, like, like the beat just gets. So we groove in our inadequacy and our weakness. It's okay. We are okay with it. One of the things that at least I can say happens for me when I'm in your midst is I don't care about my weaknesses and my inadequacies. I'm not scared of them. You're partly responsible for it because you make it easy. You make it easy. Don't have to put up any show here. This is what Jesus is asking for, eh? So now, when I behave like this, when I 
when I am weak, his strong presence tents over me. Where's that from? Second Corinthians twelve nine. His strong presence tents over me. The first time I went to Mongolia, no, the second time I went to Mongolia, the first time I went to Mongolia, God did a whole lot of signs and wonders. Second time I go there, they're expecting the same thing. I don't know how to recreate it. So they're doing worship uh, up front. I'm in the last row, I'm walking up and down, speaking in tongues, making declarations, praying like crazy, because they expect the same thing. And thank God the worship was long, because I got about 10 minutes in. And <laughs> after 10 minutes, I hear the Lord saying, um, uh, did you do it last time? Uh, I said, no. I said, then can you stop speaking in tongues and pacing up and down, because it's not helping. And so, so I stopped, because you almost try to generate this, say, eh? Can I do what it takes to make this happen? And you do not make it happen. Presence makes it happen. You were just fortunate that last time I turned up and you were aware of it. You can't create this. So you groove in your weakness. You groove in your inadequacy. You realize there's squat you can do. And that is when the presence of God begins to tent over a person or a people. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 comes to pass. And therefore, Paul says, no longer do I regard these limitations and weaknesses as something that I have to hide. I begin to revel in them. I begin to boast about it. I begin to talk about it like it's a, it's a plus point. That's what he says. Weakness is no longer a regrettable limitation. It becomes what enriches presence over me. Weakness is no longer a regrettable limitation oh, in this area. No! One of the things we love doing during encounter is to ask ones who don't know how to do things, hey, can you try and hear what God is doing and let God flow through you? Because in your weakness, he becomes super strong. Instead, we try so hard to pretend that everything is okay. Come on, man. Everything is not okay most of the time. Here's the part that um, talks about, uh, addresses the question Jill was asking. Um, so once we embrace it and groove in it, now you begin to recognize You begin to recognize your weakness. You begin to recognize your limitations. And then some of it should disturb me. And I must take it seriously. And I must work on it humbly with God and with man. So on one hand, I'm okay with my inadequacy and weakness. But as I see these weaknesses, some of them will begin to disturb me. So these are areas I can improve in. 
And because I can improve in them, I take them seriously. And when I begin to take it seriously, I go to God for help, and I go to man for help. Yes, my arm is weak, God's arm is strong, he lifted. But as I'm growing, God will say, hey, I want to try build some muscles into this arm of yours so that um, I can go help someone else while you lift stuff up. And so you now begin to work on certain weaknesses. But if you're planning to work only with God, God will say, oops, sorry, you'll have to go to uh, so-and-so because they know how to strengthen your left arm. And so with both God and man, you begin to work on it. So it's not... I will embrace my weakness and I'll never get better. It is these are my weaknesses. God will tend with great strength, but now I begin to improve them. So what Jesus expects is that he expects us to live in the tension of he expects us to live in the tension of John 5:19. What does John 5.19 say? Apart from you, I can do nothing. He expects us to live in the tension of John 5.19 and then Matthew 11.27-29. What does that say? Come to me, all you that are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. I'm gentle and meek. Take my yoke upon you. Walk with me. And Ephesians 4.12-13. Hey, I've also appointed people to help you so that we can all grow together into maturity. He expects us to live in the tension of these. Take my yoke. I'll go over things with you. I'll teach you. So it's all three. On one hand it says, uh, on one hand you're saying, oh God, I can't do anything without you. And then Jesus comes and says, well then walk by my side, take my yoke upon me. I'm really gentle, I can teach you well. Great, oh God, you and me. Oh, by the way, I've also appointed some guys to help you, so you've got to go to them too so that you can become mature. And we live in the tension of all three. And that's how we, on one hand, walk in our inadequacy. On the other hand, we keep increasing in our strength. Say that again, Marcus. Yeah, as you practice, you get better. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy to do one and two. Yes, it is easy to do one and two. Yeah, the third one is a little harder. But we are learning. We are learning. Guys, we must, I must say this to you. Like, because I preach hard every Sunday, you don't get to hear how much you've changed and how, how amazing you are. My God. <laughs> Personally not concerned about worth or achievement or accomplishment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it is coming from my heart because I, I know each of you quite well and you perhaps don't see the change. Just as you who have been here for 15, 16 years have seen changes in me. And so we are changing, guys. But because... What we teach is hard. Sometimes it doesn't appear so, but we are changing. And we are changing to become like Christ, eh? I mean, 
You think Rennie hasn't changed? You think Jill hasn't changed? She's only been here for three years. May? Oh my God. Dawn? Let's not even go there. <laughs> he was planning to leave the church, by the way. Guys, as much as all this is true, um, most of us, and I pray God that this doesn't continue for us, most of us are trying to become one, what we are not, and let's abandon this. Or we are trying to become what someone else is. Or we are trying to prove what we have, prove what we have already become. There was this guy called Ahimaaz in 2 Samuel 18, 19. He wanted to become what he was not. He was Zadok's son. Zadok was a high priest. He was, he was supposed to walk before God. He wants to run. He wants to be a runner. Sometimes we desire what someone else... Uh, we, we want to become what we are not. Then sometimes we want to become what someone else is. Someone else is this, so I want this too. And then when you don't get it, James chapter 4, verses 1 to 6 kicks in. What does it say? Why is it that you have conflicts and quarrels within Jacob? Isn't it because you desire what someone else has and you don't get it? But you don't come and pray to me. Instead, you begin to pray amiss and the conflict increases. You try to become someone, you try to become what you're not, you try to become what someone else is, or you are continuously trying to prove what you've become. Hey, if you become something, people will see it. Don't keep supplying evidence for it. She doesn't need to supply any evidence. She doesn't need to supply any evidence. They're both pregnant. It's very obvious. <laughs> I am not. Just so you know. <laughs> Everyone's looking at me. One of the ways to avoid our weaknesses from being recognized <laughs> is to isolate ourselves. Isolate ourselves, create distance, shield myself from correction. Uh, let's not do this, eh? Let's not do it. We want our weaknesses to be um, strengthened. We want our weaknesses to be strengthened. So let's not isolate ourselves. Let's not create distance. Let's not shield ourselves from correction. Strange thing is, if I'm an elbow and I'm not connected to the rest of the body, I will not know my weakness. It's in being connected to the rest of the body that you recognize whether the elbow is working well or not. An elbow by itself now, you don't know whether it's greased, you don't know whether it's rusty, you don't. It's in the context of being with you that my weaknesses will be shown. And when those weaknesses are shown, now I have a choice to get better. So as I'm writing stuff on humility, I know one thing, that nobody has ever said this of me, except Sue's mom. Nobody else has ever said that, you know, when I think of Jacob, I think of a really humble guy. 
Some of you are smiling. Wipe that grin off your face. But nobody, nobody says that. People may say, when I think of Jacob, great faith. When I think of Jacob, this. But they, they wouldn't say, when I think of Jacob, I do not think of someone who's humble. Sue's mom said that. And I'm sure she got a bigger mansion just for that. But the point is, uh, I would like some words to be associated with me. And this is not one of the words associated with me. And so it's in the context of a body that weakness is exposed. And therefore, it can be strengthened. So if I shield it, then it's not corrected. I think half the church is outside there. Hey, I just want to touch on one more thing before we go to solutions. And here's that one thing. Um, Pride often leads to self-seeking. It leads to um, bitter envy. And we got to guard against this in this church, eh? Because self-seeking is when you want to be chosen, when bitter envy comes in, when someone else is chosen. And here's the problem with this, guys. It says in James chapter uh, 3, um, verse 14, it says, where self-seeking and bitter envy exist, there will always be the demonic, the soulish, or sen- the, what is soulish and sensual, and what is, um, what is, uh, what's it, what is unspiritual. Eliminate this from your life, guys, because we can't afford it as a church. Where there is self-seeking and where there is bitter envy and both are provoked by a lack of humility or provoked by pride, as in when I am slighted, when I am not chosen, when I am not included, when someone else is chosen, bitter envy and self-seeking kicks in, and the moment it kicks in, immediately in the church or in the group or wherever, these three things are released. The demonic, what is sensual or soulish, and what is unspiritual. And then it says in verse 16, that with that comes all forms of disorder, ungodliness, and uncleanness. And we got to be free of this, eh? Whenever this happens to you, just make sure you run to a safe place because it pollutes the entire body. Even if you're, if, when you're being treated unfairly, think of the rest and choose not to. Alrighty, solutions. Any questions, guys? Pardon? James 3, 14 to 16. Yeah. Yeah, if you know that someone is feeling slighted or overlooked, you should come and tell someone who may be able to help with them being slighted or overlooked. Yeah. 
Because it doesn't mean that when something is done wrong, we let it slide. But there's two things that happens when something is done wrong. One, the person who is wronged must choose to rise over being wronged, because that's what we are called to do. And then the person who is wronged must either approach or have someone else talk to the person who can help fix the being wronged. It's both, it's not one or the other. But you have a role to play in not being slighted, offended, bitter, envy, or um, whatever, what was the other word? No. Uh, oh, shucks, nothing there. Um, the other word, yeah. Um, bitter envy and uh, self-seeking. Yeah, got to work against it, eh? Okay, solutions. How do we, how do we go into this place of um, humility? So let's take First Peter five. First Peter five, five to seven. Let me just quickly read it, and then we can use that. First Peter five, five to seven. It says that in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to the elders. All of you, clothe yourself with humility towards one another. This applies to spouses also. Eh? Some of the places where this humility pride thing really kicks in is between spouses. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And then it goes on to tell, remember, Satan's roaming like a lion. So um, the first thing is wrap the apron of servant humility. towards each other. There are days when I don't like some of you, for whatever reason. And those are the days when I will wrap myself in an apron of humility so that I, when, I, when I meet you, when I come here, I'll be extra nice to you. Maybe you've done nothing to be in a space where I should have anything against you. But for whatever reason, let's say, I'm annoyed or irritated with you. I'm not saying it's right. But those are the days when if I come in here with that attitude, I'll screw up this entire place. I have to wrap myself with an apron of humility. But Jacob, wouldn't it be better if you were not annoyed? Yes. Once you wrap yourself in the... Uh, it's amazing. You can tell a servant to do multiple tasks and they keep doing it without grimacing, without letting uh, things get in the way. That's not how we see servants today. But in the Old Testament and in certain parts of the world, if you're a servant, it doesn't matter how many times Elijah tells you to climb up the mountain to see a cloud that doesn't exist. You go happily and come back happily. Thank God I was not Elijah's servant up and down the mountain. And so... The idea is, can you wrap yourself in an apron of humility so that when you know you are not doing well with a person, that is when you begin to serve the person even better. Second, be okay about humiliation. Be okay about humiliation. Look at what it says there, man. It says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. What's he trying to say? He's saying, there will be times when God will be okay with bringing you low. 
so that self dies. This goes against Pentecostal thinking. This goes against what I really want. What do I want? I want to be the head and not the tail. I want to be above and not below. Those are scriptures that, if you come from a Pentecostal background, those are powerful scriptures that you've used. But there are times when it is okay for God to have me be humiliated so that self may die and I may be brought low. No, Jacob, God would never do this. He did it to his son. For good reason. And he will do it to you for good reason too. That you may be obedient unto death. If it's not clear, we must be okay about humiliation under the mighty hand of God because he sometimes uses it to bring me low and to have myself die. Uh, guys, the dangerous thing is if we take the scripture and apply it to everything that's happening in our lives. But I, I'm assuming you have more sense than that. Uh, this is when Don, you should say amen. Okay. It doesn't apply to everything. But there are times when I must recognize that it's okay, Jacob. It's okay. I've gone to places where people have shouted at me in front of their family, in front of their children for no good reason. Eh? There was no good reason. And you walk out of there with your head low but your heart high, knowing that you're not going to say a word back. Because if you say a word, you don't want to visit them with anything that they're visiting you with. And you walk away humbly. But you walk with your face down but your heart high, knowing that you have done what you're supposed to do. That's completely okay. Nor do you want vindication. You don't write a psalm after that saying, vindicate me, O Lord. Let their dog, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Third one, from First Peter 5, 5, 7. Cast your cares on him. Cast your cares on him. It's strange how that is added after humility. Cast your cares on him. Why? Because when we do not cast our anxieties on him, we sometimes go into self-reliance, distrust, and pride. Pride in our own ability to solve it. So it's strange how they put that in with First Peter 5, 5-7. Cast your cares on him. Remember, when a man is separate from God, pride seeks him. And if pride can have him, then God will resist him. When a man is separate from God, when anxieties, cares, and worries come, and you begin to pull away from God because you think you can be the architect of your future and you can solve this, when a man is separate from God, pride goes seeking for him. The next one is Philippians 2, 6-7. Ah, it's such a beautiful passage. Just read with me, guys. Philippians 2, 6-7, and we'll end with this. Philippians 2, 6-7. It's amazing. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. 
And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Let's read it from the message. He had equal status with God. It begins with saying, think of yourselves, Jacob, the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave and became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life, died a selfless, obedient death. The worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. So, it's a way of thinking, guys. The first thing we need to realize is humility is a way of thinking. It is how God thinks. And so, to be like-minded will make us aware of his presence. Be like-minded. Be aware of presence. It's a way of thinking. And if it's a way of thinking, then, like Marcus was saying earlier, when you practice it, it becomes real. It is a way of thinking. I have to practice it. It is a way of thinking. Humility is a way of thinking. It says, think like Jesus. Be like-minded with him. Like-minded. Have the same mind as him. It's a way of thinking. So how does this way of thinking work? Beautiful how he says, he doesn't say, oh, I was a worm. No, he says, I was equal, I am equal with God. It begins with an accurate estimation. It begins with an accurate estimation of one's standing positionally with God, which is son and perfect forever, and practically. And practically, it's harder to measure. Positionally, we know who we are. We are perfect. We are holy. We are heaven-bound. We have Christ living in us. Uh, uh, th- there's no sin in us. We have been made perfect forever by one sacrifice. Positionally, we must have an accurate estimation of ourselves. And then practically, too, we must have an estimation of ourselves. That's a little harder. But when you live with the people, practically, it becomes a little easier. When you live by yourself, you don't know what you don't know. Marriage is one of the easiest ways to find out what you don't know. Stay single and you don't have that problem. So, accurate estimation of oneself. After that, the next thing is, don't grasp, don't seize, don't sulk, don't jockey, for inclusion, recognition, privileges, or equality. That's the third thing Jesus does. First he says, hey, think like me, be like-minded. Second he says, have an accurate estimation of who you are positionally and practically. Jacob, I know this is who you are. I told you positionally you are this with me. How about practically? How's it really working out in your life, Jacob? That you'll only know when you live with people. Because every fruit of the Spirit, every gift of the Spirit other than the gift of tongues, only works in relationship. 
Third, he says, now that you know yourself positionally and practically, don't grasp, don't seize, don't sulk, don't jockey for inclusion, don't jockey and sulk and seize and grasp for recognition, for privileges or equality. Stop it! Because I didn't. I let go of all of that, even though I had an absolute right to be one with the Godhead. I set it aside and I never grasped for it while I was on the earth. They said to me, you can call on a legion of angels, and I refused. Set it aside. And then, even when the devil comes to tempt you, Don't inflict or lick your wounds. So remember I was telling you that story where I went and I had done a lot of work and no credit was given to me? And it didn't bother me because it was self-forgetfulness. And then I remember going back home and I get home and then these voices start coming up in my head. Do you realize that you weren't recognized? Do you know how much you sacrificed? Maybe they don't think you're sophisticated enough. Maybe they didn't want to introduce you to their friends. Well, next time, be careful about how much you give. Some people are not grateful. And these little voices, like a fool, instead of shutting it down, I gave it some uh, airtime, man. And it was fascinating how Pride, which is basically why I was beginning to get hurt and offended, crept in. And then I suddenly realized that I ran out to my balcony because it was winter when this happened. And cold air always does things to you. It, 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 it makes you think right. I ran out to my balcony and I stood there for a while and walked around. And uh, the cold air brought me back to my senses. It was not the cold air, it was the Holy Spirit, but it felt cold. Um, at the end of the day, after I was done, I went back in. And I was thinking to myself, Jacob, why did you even give it airtime? This is what we do, eh? We sometimes walk away from situations without a scar and we go home and we give it airtime. And that is when he comes and says, if you were the son of God. And you begin to inflict or lick your wounds. Pride causes offense. Then he goes on to say, I deliberately, I deliberately make myself, I deliberately make myself of no reputation. Beautifully, eh? giving up privileges. earned privileges that have been earned or bestowed or deserved. I give it up. This is what Jesus did. He's telling us how to go about this from Philippians 2. I deliberately, I know some of you old timers have heard this story before, but there was a lady um, at Acts 29. Her name was Betty. Not, not the present Betty. This is the past Betty. And so Betty brought uh, two well-known prophetic preachers from Ontario. 
And they came, and uh, Betty said, Jacob, is it okay if they preach? And I said, yes. And so they came, and uh, um, she said, can you meet them? I said, okay. So I went, picked them up. And uh, they thought I was a taxi driver. So, <laughs> so uh, they came, and then uh, they told me they wanted Starbucks. Can I go get them some Starbucks? They thought I was hired for the entire day. So <laughs> I went and got them Starbucks. <laughs> Maybe I wasn't dressed well or whatever. I don't know. Uh, uh, the yeah, the humility part. Ah, that was it. I didn't. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even realize because when you are humble, it, you don't realize, right? Others see. Thanks, Marcus. So, <laughs> so uh, then, then I had to go drop them at the shopping mall, wait for them. Then they said, drop us back and then uh, come and pick us up after we have a dole, after we've slept. And at some point, I realized this is actually enjoyable when. You deliberately make yourself of no reputation. So I actually took on that role. Like, I wasn't even pretending. But I was also looking forward to the evening service. <laughs> that is a part of me that was a slightly sneaky, because I thought to myself, all righty, when they come for the evening service, and Betty comes and introduces them to me, this is the past I wanted to see their face, and it was priceless. But, <laughs> but the point is, can I deliberately make... And then they had an amazing prophetic word for me, eh? uh, which included humility. So, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so I deliberately make myself of no reputation. This is something Jesus did. He took on the role of a servant. He took on the role of a servant. Giving up privileges that are earned, bestowed, deserved. Privileges you have earned, privileges you have been bestowed, privileges that you, have, you deserve. And then the last one is, you come down to the lowest level in the room. You come down to the lowest level in the room. That of a bond servant, that's how low he went. And when that happens, the highest one tents on you. Always remember, guys, the grace of God looks for the greatest depression. Just like water, the grace of God looks for the greatest depression. In this room, the grace of God finds someone who actually in their heart thinks nothing of themselves. Because like water, it'll find the lowest place and that is what it begins to fill first. And this is why sometimes some of the richest things come from some of the most unexpected, unknown places. What good can come from Nazareth? It's one of the lowest places in Galilee. That's why I marvel at some of you. You have such low places, but I just am fascinated at how God is using you. Don't want to pick on names, but I'm in awe of you. To walk in presence, we have to be obedient. To be obedient, we have to be humble. To be humble, we have to depend on others. 
to walk in presence, we have to be obedient. To be obedient, we have to be humble. To be humble, we have to be dependent. In a sense, salvation is the restoration of lost humility. Humbling myself, I can't write that fast. Could you please? Yeah, <laughs> to, be, to, be obedi- uh, to walk in presence, you have to be obedient. To be obedient, you have to be humble. Jesus, Philippians 2, 6-7. Uh, he was obedient. He humbled himself. He was obedient unto death. Therefore now, God has exalted him. To walk in presence, you have to be obedient. To be obedient, you have to be humble. To be humble, you have to be dependent. And so salvation in a sense, or redemption, is the restoration of lost humility. It makes us entirely dependent upon the presence of God. So, I'll stop there. Can someone lead us in prayer with regard to this church walking with greater humility? Could someone pray that I walk in greater humility? Yeah, I was reading a story of a Jewish rabbi who uh, stood before the Lord and said, I'm nothing. And then his cantor came and he also knelt before the God, Lord and said, I'm nothing. And then there was a janitor. And he came and said, I'm nothing too. And the rabbi turned to the cantor and said, who does he think he is? So, yeah, it can get quite nasty when everybody is crying out, humble us, humble us. But let's ask God with this caution for a humility in this church where when we begin to ask that strange thing happens, God begins to point out areas of pride, areas of elitism, areas of exclusivity. And then please pray that I'll walk in greater humility. Yeah. Humble yourselves in the sight of God. So we are going to God and saying, oh God, we want this. Please help us. Yeah? Yeah. So pray the best you can, eh? Because I think um, there's a point to what Jill is saying. It always says, hey, humble yourselves. Otherwise, God has to humble us. But I would prefer if we humbled ourselves. So pray the best you know how. And pray for me. Why am I asking you to pray for me? One, because it's an admission that I need it. Um, and two, if that happens, it'll benefit me and it'll benefit us all. Yeah? So. Father, Right from Second Chronicles 7 or First Chronicles 7, you've been saying stuff like, if my people humble themselves. In the New Testament, Paul says, humble yourselves or humble ourselves. And then Jesus, you showed us how this works. We just talked about it. Because we want to be aware of your presence, because your presence never leaves. 
because we want your presence to have the freedom, the unrestrained freedom to flow through us across the earth. We are asking for this um, soil. Actually, the word humility, guys, comes from the word humus. Humus means ground or soil. And to be humble is to walk close to the ground or soil. To eke out an existence from the dust of the earth is what the word humble comes from, humus. So Father, I ask for good ground above for us. So please help us pray and be Holy Spirit and then the Lord will answer our prayers when we pray according to his will. Louder, Jillian. Yeah. Louder, Heidi. Thank you. Father, I struggle with entitlement. And when that is challenged, when privileges that I have either earned or deserved 
or have been bestowed upon me are not given the attention or the respect. I bristle about and uh, just take your finger, Father, and remind me so that that area changes, Abba. That area changes. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Oma. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Have the same mind as that of Christ. He is here, he is listening, he will answer. Feel free to pray if you want to. You're praying for us. Yeah. Yeah. 
Thank you, Father. Father, I want to thank you for two things. One is that we can't be humble on our own. <laughs> In order to model that, to learn that, to do it, to practice, to become humble, we have to be in community. And I thank you that you place us in a bond where we can practice. Yeah. Thank you, Father. And Father, I also like the word choice that Jacob came up with, the grooves, and I can't remember what we're grooving and whether we're grooving in humility or not. But I like that word because it has an element of um, enjoyment in it. Like when you're grooving, there's enjoyment in that. Father, I just pray that we would learn how to groove and enjoy humility. Yeah, the joy of humility. Yeah. The joy of humility. Crazy. But I ask that you continue, continuously remind us uh, who we are in you. Hmm. Jesus was someone fishing you, but we forget. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. John 13, verse 1 to 3. Knowing where he had come from and knowing where he was going, he took off his robes and he began to wash the disciples' feet. Help us to know, Father. Anyone else?
Amen. Hey, um, can you pull up on a hill far away? Stood an old rugged cross. We'll end with that. Far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. How many know this song without the words? Anyone who's above 30. When the sound guys take forever to pull up this song, hey, feel free. It's called the old rugged cross. Okay. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross. Where the dearest and best For a world of lost sinners was slain So I'll cherish the old rugged cross Till my trophies at last I lay down and I will cling to the old rugged cross And exchange it someday for a crown Oh, that old rugged cross So despised by the world Has a wondrous attraction for me, for the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to bear it to dark Calvary. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross. Trophies at last I lay down And I will cling to the old rugged cross And exchange it someday for a crown In that old rugged cross Stained with blood, so divine, a wondrous beauty I see. For was on that old cross, Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me. So I'll cherish that old rugged cross Till my throat 
last I lay down I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown to the old rugged cross I will ever be true It's shame and reproach gladly bear Then he'll call me someday To my home far away Where his glory forever I'll share So I'll tell the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a we bless you, Father. We bless you, Father. You never stop amazing us Sunday after Sunday, Monday after Monday, weekday after weekday. How are you always so new? We bless you. Alrighty, guys. Ladies, you know where to go, guys. I don't know where you're supposed to go. If you need prayer, feel free to come up and someone will pray for you.